Many times we need to keep our health in check, but don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. We walk in blindly to our health care provider and walk out none the wiser and maybe even more confused than before. Can you take charge of your health and arm yourself with the questions and preparedness you need? The answer is yes. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. This program will answer your questions and give you the best practices for facing your medical partner in good health. Now, here's Dr. Susan Downs. Hi, welcome to Occupy Health. This is Dr. Susan Here we go over many different things we can do to build up our immunity and be healthy and strong. Uh, So to minimize our risk for chronic diseases, acute diseases, let's just take steps to build up our immunity and be healthy. As I say fairly often, there's a high incidence of chronic diseases here in the U.S., six out of 10 adults and maybe uh, four out of 10 have more than one chronic disease. Even children, I mean, over half of a chronic disease, uh, whereas years ago it was only 18%, 90% of our health care costs go to chronic diseases. And as I mention often, health is not a continuum that you sugars hit 126 and voila, you get the jacket, the t-shirt, you're a member of the diabetes club with your metformin pill. No, it's a continuum. And we all are somewhere on that continuum, somewhere between optimal health and going down a pathway toward a chronic disease. So with and also uh, these diseases are not uh, like heart disease is not a statin deficiency and depression is not a Prozac deficiency. There's underlying things that we can address and there's biomarkers as we can go along to see where we're on that path. So to look at this further, we have Dr. Michael Carter, who has been working in this area, helping many people. He's a board certified physician with 35 years in multiple disciplines. He's board certified in anesthesiology, having practiced for 16 years before transitioning into the medical aesthetics and weight loss specialties. After becoming the co-medical director of the Ashworth Medical Center in Florida, he continued his training within the U.S. as well as abroad. He's he's done extensive training and opened seven clinics in Georgia and Florida, where he specialized in liposuction, fat transfer techniques, and expertise in the Brazilian buttock organization augmentation, and anti-aging medicine and functional medicine. As a functional integrative medical practitioner, he seeks to find the root cause of what's interfering with the body's ability to stave off disease syndromes, how important that is. So uh, if you were his patient, he would give you a combination of natural supplements, technology, alternative treatments, selective medicines, as well as effective diet, eating strategies, and exercise regimens that enhance the ability to detoxify, rejuvenate, and regenerate for optimal health. He's a member of the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine and the Institute for Functional Medicine. He's completed their stem cell fellowship and peptide certification programs. By addressing hormonal, adrenal, immune, GI, and endocrine systems that are critical for balancing, he's created a proven path for successful and optimal health. He's a graduate of Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. He finished second in his class, magna cum laude, where he received his bachelor's degree in biology. He's also a member of Phi Beta Kappa, Academic Honor Society, and he received his MD from Howard University in Washington, D.C., and then completed his residency at Emory University in Atlanta. So welcome, Dr. Carter. That is a long resume. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, yes. It's yeah, okay. It's been a very interesting career path for me. Well, I want to hear about that path. Tell me about your journey from 
being a aspiring doctor to going through your training and to go through all these different specialties and then getting to the prize uh, jackpot of looking for the underlying causes <laughs> of diseases. Absolutely. So, yes, as um, in my resume there, yes, I, I did anesthesia for 16 years and um, unfortunately had to retire from that because uh, I developed glaucoma. And I've actually had glaucoma for, oh, 30 plus years. And there is a strong family history of that. But nonetheless, um, uh, after having uh, surgeries on both eyes, I significantly lost vision in one eye, which, um, you know, caused me to uh, retire from that arena because, of course, you know, as anesthesiologists, we are the ones who are, you know, keeping the patient alive, <laughs> not necessarily the surgeon. You know, we have that person's life in our hands and so forth. So split-second decisions, you know, uh, are necessary. And and uh, I, I felt that having bilateral vision was uh, absolutely more important. Um, so with that being said, transitioned out of that, went into the medical spa arena and and uh, trained in um, uh, weight loss and mesotherapy, bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, then became a cosmetic surgeon, opening up uh, seven clinics between Georgia and Florida. Um, also during that time, did stem cell um, uh, procedures on patients because fat is a great reservoir for lots of stem cells. So, and that was probably about 15 years ago. So one of the early adopters, of that um, and had great success with that. Um, after about eight years, um, retired from that because still with the glaucoma, um, uh, you know, being on traditional eye drops and, and having the traditional uh, surgeries was not halting the decrease in visual acuity. So uh, probably about eight years ago, I decided to transition out of the cosmetic surgery realm and really dive deeply into the functional medicine arena, really to find out what the root causes of my condition was, you know, because uh, traditional medicine really didn't have a whole lot of hope in terms of reversing things, more so just trying to main, maintain it, keeping the pressures down and, and so forth. So, that's when I embarked in my journey um, with uh, the whole functional medicine uh, scene and, and really uncovering a lot of things that um, just really opened my eyes, so to speak. And that also helped me to decide, you know, I really enjoyed this area of medicine um, in the alternative space and um, and really wanted to start helping other people with chronic diseases, uh, from diabetes to GI disturbances, thyroid health, autoimmune diseases, and, and the like, and became very, very proficient at that. And also with a specialization in neurodegenerative diseases, which of course encompasses the eye as well. Um, probably about uh, seven years ago, I met Dr. Thomas Lewis who is the uh, co-author of the first book, The End of Alzheimer's. Um, and his uh, partner at that time was Dr. Clement Tripp, who was an ophthalmologist 
at Harvard, and they wrote this book to really, truly elucidate uh, some of the underlying causes of Alzheimer's and Alzheimer's not being just uh, because of amyloid and also just because you have a genetic predisposition. So there were a number of hidden things that uh, they brought out in their book. And a little bit fast forward, uh, I ultimately became the corporate medical director of that company. It's called Real Health Clinic, and it's dedicated to, um, again, elucidating some of those underlying factors that are driving Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and dementia. Um, I also trained with Dr. Dale Bredesen, who wrote the second book, The End of Alzheimer's, probably a few years ago. Um, and uh, basically, he elucidated the, the six different types of Alzheimer's and, and put those in two categories. Again, showing that there are a whole host of things that uh, drive this, uh, these dreaded diseases. And the interesting thing, kind of going back to Dr. Lewis and Dr. Trump, was that um, the eye was a window into potentially getting Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. So um, having glaucoma, having, all, uh, uh, having macular degeneration and so forth are, you know, precursors. Not, not necessarily to say that you will definitely develop that, but it, it, is, um, it is potentially a precursor that shows that something is going on in the brain that people really need to um, take heed of. Um, Lewis say uh, glaucoma is the Alzheimer's disease of the eye, and that yes, absolutely glaucoma of the brain. Yeah, so that that of course caught my attention when you know when I met him on uh, the Alzheimer's summit. It was actually the first uh, summit dedicated to that, and he was one of the speakers. And yes, he did make that comment that uh, glaucoma was Alzheimer's of the eye, and I think he got a. a a lot of individuals' attention <laughs> with that statement. So, but, um, but yes, yeah, that is, uh, uh, the, the, what I found for myself um, kind of going through this is that I had a whole host of underlying, you know, uh, problems, shall we say, you know, looking at adrenal dysfunction. Um, that was uh, a key component, you know, just, working, you know, really, really long hours, especially doing liposuction and having multiple centers and, and so forth. Uh, I did that for a, well, probably about seven, seven or eight years, um, just working like a, a, a crazy person, really, at the end of the day, and um, ended up with stage three adrenal fatigue. And that also kind of pushed me out of that because I just, I had no energy. Anymore, I was starting to gain weight. I was having GI symptoms. You know, I went down the road of looking at what was going on in my gut. Found out that I had um, significant gluten sensitivity and sensitivity to dairy. Um, after doing a stool analysis, found out I had a whole host of unwanted uh, bugs in there. You know, yeast and parasites and. Uh, an overgrowth of uh, bad bacteria and, and what have you. So, so that again kind of led me down the pathway of um, 
there's got to be something more to this um, with my eyes. So, you know, just kept delving deeper and deeper and, and found out that um, uh, H. pylori um, is also implicated in glaucoma. A lot of people probably don't know that, but I had H. pylori, and I addressed that with functional medicine, you know, modalities to, you know, uh, push that back down to a, a normal level because H. pylori is actually can just be, you know, a commensal organism, meaning, you know, that it's, it's, a, it's a friendly it's a friendly bacteria there, but once it gets to higher levels, it can certainly become problematic. And then with Dr. Trimp and Dr. Lewis, um, really going down the pathway of subacute infections, finding out that, um, and, and, and mind you, other, you know, I was, I was tired and, you know, I, I could still, you know, function and so forth. I wasn't, you know, prostrate with, you know, chronic fatigue, but notably I didn't have the energy that I had before, but, um, but nonetheless, uh, finding out that I indeed had, uh, some of these subacute pathogens like Lyme disease, um, mycoplasma pneumonia, chlamydia pneumonia, Epstein-Barr virus, um, and the like, I think those were my main ones that I found out. And, you know, I didn't have fever or chills or, or even a high white count, you know. So, again, things like that are missed in the traditional world when you're delving into what is, again, the driving cause for glaucoma. And, of course, Dr. Trent was a, a, a trendsetter some 25 years ago, being the only ophthalmologist that I'd ever heard of that actually drew blood and, 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 and got inflammatory markers and, and these subacute infections. I've never been to an ophthalmologist that has ever, you know, said to me, well, we need to draw some blood on you. So, again, he, he was, you know, totally a trailblazer and, and a functional practitioner in his own right during those times. So that became you know, an, an arena that made me very, very passionate and, um, and really also going deeper because there are a whole host of uh, things that I ultimately uncovered, you know, found out that I had um, mycotoxins from mold exposure, you know, so, and, and of course, mold is everywhere, right, um, in, in homes and in our workplaces and, and all of that. And, and, you know, the data shows that about 25% of the population is, um, has a sensitivity to these mold toxins. So I did that on myself. And sure enough, found out I had some mycotoxins. <laughs> and um, uh, it was just, uh, again, a very, you know, eye-opening scenario to see what was going on. So I uh, found out that it really wasn't coming from my house. I, you know, looked at that, um, uh, doing the tests and, and so forth. But growing up um, with my uh, dad, we would do a lot of um, uh, things in remediation of homes and so forth. And and I remember being in moldy apartments and moldy houses and, and all of that stuff. And um, 
And perhaps that was where my exposure came from. And, and then ultimately, it just started, you know, um, being a problem. So kind of went down that pathway of uh, detoxing myself of the mycotoxins and, and so forth. Um, looked at heavy metals, and thankfully, that, that really didn't show anything. I, I never had any silver or gold fillings or anything like that. So, so that was a positive thing. However, um, I did have my wisdom teeth taken out as, you know, as a young person. Um, and I went to a holistic dentist to kind of get a, a better read on that. And even though the digital x-rays didn't show anything, and I actually did a cone beam. Um, CT scan, which really didn't reveal anything. However, um, I went to uh, a practitioner who practiced uh, uh, EAV, um, uh, electroacupuncture according to Vol. So, so it can really kind of hone, hone in there as to some of these pathogens that are, are hiding. And sure enough, it, it came up that um, I had a couple of cavitations. So I addressed that with the holistic dentist doing ozone therapy. So, and there are a whole host of things <laughs> that I've been through and done. Um, and um, I'm still on my journey, but it has been very, very enlightening to kind of uncover these things. I mean, I have, you know, I've been gluten-free and dairy-free and, and you know, eating uh, mostly organic all the time. and and really being cognizant of uh, what I'm exposed to, what I'm eating, what I'm drinking, all of these things. So I do feel that the regeneration process will be successful. It's just when you're dealing with neurodegenerative processes, it, it, takes, it takes a while. It takes a while. But I have tons of energy now, you know, now that I've, you know, totally revamp my diet, you know, and a whole host of uh, supplements that are, are really pushing me forward and so forth. And again, this, this journey for myself has made me a much better clinician for my patients because when, when I talk to them, I can share, like, I, I understand, I understand your frustration. You know, I've been through it, I'm going through it, and I understand that you know, you want something to happen within the next 30, 60, 90 days, but it may or may not happen. So, you know, I'm also more of a coach to try to keep them along the path and say, you know, this could take one, two, three, four, five years or more to get your health back, depending on where you are. So um, it's been very exciting. It's a very interesting description of the complex interdependent symphony which takes place in our body it's almost like an elephant you know so many different systems that we can start trying to improve each of them and maybe uh, we can get later of where to start but a couple of these you mentioned so many things that are interesting <laughs> i had my wisdom teeth pulled out as a teen i had cavitations and i got trigeminal neuralgia and it was 
I did this. I looked it up. It's associated with cavitations. Well, it makes sense. The trigeminal nerve is traveling through a pile of pus because when you extract a tooth to put in a root canal and you leave in one bacteria, it can multiply over years and decades and you get a big hole in your gum full of pus. So I went to yeah. a dentist and asked, and asked that they put ozone into it. It felt the ozone go along the root of the trigeminal uh, nerve and then uh, I cured, my trigeminal neurology was cured. I tried to tell the ENT yeah. uh, where, where they diagnosed me, the head of the ENT department diagnosed me. Eh, that, that was not that interesting to them. But you mentioned so many interesting things. It's really hard to <laughs> you know, uh, just start at them all, like uh, weight loss. What do we do for weight loss? But I guess we have to, you know, so it's about weight loss. Well, I mean, you know, especially when I was doing the, the cosmetic surgery, that and 99% of my patients were women, so, of course, they were concerned about that. And I, of course, told them that liposuction is not a weight loss strategy, even though, you know, I could, you know, uh, you know totally sculpt a woman's body and, and totally transform them. However, to maintain that, <laughs> because those fat cells that are left can re-expand, and oftentimes they did because a lot of those patients did not change their diet, and I had a, a number of repeat customers. So, but without the, you know, the cosmetic, you know, side of it, it's not really that difficult to lose weight. Now, and I know women will say, yeah, that's easy for you to say because you're a man. Um, and I would agree. For most men, it is easier to lose weight, especially if you do, you know, a low-carb or ketogenic diet or, or something along those lines. And I know for women, they really most find it very difficult to do a low-carb diet. But there's, you know, ways to stage it and the use of, of you know, a whole host of supplements that, um, you know, can and can help the cravings, like, you know, using Gymnina Sylvestra, you know, which is a herb which uh, helps to stave off carbohydrate cravings, and using things like chromium and berberine, which are going to help with your insulin resistance. And, of course, the, the key is you want to really be on a more, more low-carb. I'm not a big fan of long-term ketogenic diets. Um, you know, even that's, you know, that's kind of the craze, but one should really not be on that for probably more than three or four months. And you really want to kind of transition um, because ultimately that's still not the healthiest diet for, for a person, but really ultimately getting into more of a, you know, Mediterranean type diet, you know, just lots of organic vegetables, vegetables being the number one you know, um, fruit. Um, and, you know, if you're, you're really trying to lose the weight, low glycemic fruits, you know, like the berries and so forth, um, are very, very beneficial. And really, um, you know, they're moderate protein consumption, you know, with grass-fed beef, free-range chicken and, and so forth. Um, and really looking at things like intermittent fasting, and because that has worked marvelously for me, I've, you know, I came from a family uh, on my dad's side that had a, a number of overweight um, aunts and uncles. My dad was a, a normal size, but 
you know, it was in it was in my genes. I was actually an overweight kid. Um, but early on, I decided that I was not going to go down that pathway. So I started exercising, you know, when I was, you know, 10 or 11 because I got teased uh, because I, you know, I was pretty hefty. I had the the um, the husky, <laughs> the husky pants and, and so forth. And I also wore glasses. So, yeah, so it was a troubling time for me. But, I, you know, again, at the end of the day, I think it made me stronger. But, but going forward, yes, what I do, I intermittent fast. I don't count calories at all. Um, I do juicing. I do smoothies. Um, and generally, I'm eating only twice a day. So, you know, my lunch, I don't do breakfast, but my lunch may be uh, a smoothie, which may have, um, you know, kale or spinach, uh, blueberries, um, a uh, a protein. I, I use a plant-based uh, protein uh, chocolate shake um, mix that is absolutely amazing. Um, I put some spirulina in there and some um, uh, just a whole host of things. And then I do juicing of celery and cucumbers and beets and, and all of that. And then um, for dinner, it's Whatever. Uh, again, I'm gluten-free, dairy-free, so it's uh, some meat source with a salad, um, sweet potatoes, or what have you. And I've been able to maintain my weight very, very easily. So, what about um, women, for example? I mean, there's just, just this little tub of fat that won't go away regardless of what, at least what I do. <laughs> um, well, again, you know, if... Uh, Doing uh, a focused type ketogenic, you know, uh, phase does may it, be beneficial. Does but it if, get if that does, ketogenic diets? If I that doesn't, eighteen hours a day. Well, if that doesn't, and and if that doesn't work, yeah, I mean, liposuction, you know, is a great way to spot reduce. Now, of course, there are a whole lot of other, you know, non-invasive modalities. Now, you can freeze the fat. And and for really small areas, that actually works quite well. You know, I'm medical director of a you know couple of uh, medical spas, and um, and they utilize that there um, with good success. So so that's an option as well. It, it'll take a, you know about ten sessions, ten sessions, and and so forth. But that's that's pretty effective. Does but still, at the end of the day, you know, does it stay away or come back? It can still come back, but also going deeper, especially for women, you know, you know, your thyroid function, critical, critical with that. And a lot of women are actually very hypothyroid. And, you know, from the autoimmune standpoint, it's called Hashimoto's, that your body is actually making antibodies, you know, um, to your thyroid. And, uh, of course, if you're free T3, that's the, the active thyroid hormone, is low, then that's going to drive your metabolic rate down. And again, that's, it's a very, very common scenario, especially for women. So, and, and you may or may not have that, you know, if you're going to the traditional doctor, it may not be elucidated enough because standard panels don't necessarily show a free T3 
um, total T3 and, and these antibodies that we're talking about, the thyroid peroxidase antibodies and thyroglobulin antibodies and reverse T3, and all of those things that give us a, a much deeper dive than just TSH and a T4, which is kind of a common, which doesn't really tell you enough. Yes, so, and thyroid uh, I would say, is very important. You need the reverse T3. It'll give you an idea yeah. of receptor resistance. You need the free T4 and free T3. You need the TPO antibodies and the antibodies, thyroid globulin, and maybe thyroid globulin. And to get an idea of what's going on in the thyroid, that's essential. And yes, Hashimoto's is very common in women. And once you get one autoimmune disease, you're subject to another. How about telling us about hormones. What's that all about? So I do bioidentical hormones mainly for men, um, you know, with the testosterone and so forth. Um, it, it can be challenging uh, for women, uh, but I, you know, I, I definitely feel that bioidentical hormone replacement therapy definitely it can be beneficial. I have found, though, um, that I've been able to write someone's um, hormone status probably 95% of the time without bioidentical hormone replacement. And how do I do that? You know, so we really have to look at the adrenal function, you know, of patients. You know, because a lot of, of course, in, in the traditional realm, uh, that's really not elucidated, even if they get a cortisol, but they won't. And that's just, you know, a blood cortisol. So that, that's really not going to tell you something unless something's really, really high or really low. And then you have disease syndromes like Addison's or, or Cushing's or, or what have you. So you would actually know that you have something going on. But from a subacute standpoint, doing a salivary um, test that gives you the four, you know, points of your cortisol throughout a 24-hour period and you can actually see the curve because, you know, the cortisol should be high in the morning. That's what wakes us up. And, you know, that's our stress hormone and gets us going. And then it slowly declines throughout the day and, and should be the lowest at night. But when you have, you know, adrenal fatigue or chronic fatigue syndrome, that curve starts to flatten out and gets, you know, lower than normal. So your body is telling you that it is struggling to keep you going. And the interesting thing is there's a phenomenon called, you know, uh, progesterone or pregnenolone steel because cortisol is actually made from progesterone and pregnenolone. So pregnenolone being our mother hormone is progesterone, you know, for women and men. Men actually have a little progesterone, but Women, the progesterone is, is more of a calming and happy hormone. So just think about it. If, you, if you're stressed out all the time and, and your body's trying to make more and more cortisol to keep you going, but it, your progesterone gets sucked into this void of trying to make more cortisol, then your hormonal balance is not good. Because now you have low progesterone levels and low pregnenolone levels because your body is just trying to make more cortisol to keep you going. So the way to address that is to uh, give DHEA and pregnenolone. That's a, that's a great start to do 
this, also, you know, giving vitamin C. Um, and those are, and there, there are a number of adaptogens that can help with adrenal function. Um, but over generally over a six to nine month or 12 month uh, time frame, one can rebalance the uh, adrenal glands and, and the hormones can magically get back into balance. What so, about desiccated so adrenal I, gland? Say again? What about taking desiccated adrenal gland? So, no, and that, that can be beneficial as well. Yes, there, there are a number of practitioners. I've, I've utilized um, the desiccated uh, adrenal gland glandulars as well, and that can be very, very beneficial. You know, licorice root, also quite amazing. You do have to be careful if you have high blood pressure, though utilizing licorice root. Um, and then, you know, using things like ashwagandha and rhodiola and a whole host of uh, cordyceps. And, and there are just a whole host of, uh, you know, nutrients and vitamins that can really get that back on track. And again, not necessarily have to put someone on BHRT. Now, yeah, as we get older, like the rhodiola and ashwagandha are adaptogens. So, if your adrenals are under or over, it adapts them in a good way. So, you mentioned several other things you mentioned are interesting. Now, most of us are exposed to mold and mycotoxins, and you say twenty percent plus are sensitive to it. How do, other than removing yeah. the source of the mold, which might be hard to do, how do we re- detox the mycotoxins and molds from our body? So, it really depends um, because. I mean, there are a couple of labs that um, that I utilize, and you know, they're in all of these very long word classifications like gliotoxin and trichopathenes and aflatoxin and and a whole host of things. So it really depends on what toxin that is being liberated by whatever mold, you know, um, like aspergillus and and candida and. And, you know, Stachybotrys, which is the black mold. And, and again, there are a whole variety of these molds out there. So it really depends on which one is being liberated from, from your body, really. You can test in the urine. You can also test with um, uh, antibody tests to see if your body is fighting these things. But in general, um, you really want to make sure your liver is up to the task for detoxification. And by the way, you know, unfortunately, we, we live in such a toxic environment. Our livers are, are struggling, you know, <laughs> you know, from the food that we eat, from the air we breathe, the water we drink, the, whatever. Uh, and the medications, the, the liver is, is, is not happy. You know, um, a lot of people are developing fatty livers and, and so forth. But yeah, so. Um, there's a whole host of things that need to go into play to help detoxify. So, you know, enhancing phase one and phase two liver detoxification, um, taking things like N-acetylcysteine, which will be a precursor for your glutathione, that will uh, help detoxify uh, using various binders, you know, um, such as uh, charcoal, um, and um, Espilardi, uh as a probiotic, believe it or not, you know, that also um, can help a Candida down. Um, uh, Parophyllite clays, 
Um, and there, there are a whole, uh, whole host of, uh, of things, you know, in the, in the, in the medical world, you know, uh, cholestyramine, uh, as a prescription, it can be utilized. Um, I don't use that much. I have utilized it a little bit in the, in the past, but I, I really like, uh, using the glutathione, um, um, I really like uh, binders from a company called Biobotanical Research called GI Detox because that has, you know, a number of different things in there. One from Quicksilver is Ultra Binder. Um, so there are probably eight or nine different, you know, binders that are in those two uh, supplements that uh, attack these um, uh, from different levels. Um, again, uh, if you... One, one key point, though, if you have chronic sinusitis, you know, a lot of people are on antibiotics for that uh, because the, the feeling is it's from a bacteria. But more times than not, it's actually from a fungus. And I actually work with a doctor here in Georgia, his name is Dr. Donald Dennis. He's an ENT surgeon uh, who specializes in mold mycotoxins. And he has found that um, if he were to do a CT scan on the sinuses, a good number of people who have, you know, mold sickness actually have fungus balls growing in their sinuses. So kind of no matter what you do, unless you really address that, you know, you're in for kind of a long ride until that is uh, adequately, um, adequately addressed. That's very interesting, and I'd also like to point out to the audience that glyphosate, which is in Roundup, which is put on uh, most uh, genetically engineered foods, and it's in everything now, even the Antarctic and pregnant women's bellies, that interferes with the detox pathways and getting toxins out of our body, plus opening up the blood-brain barrier and the gut barrier and interfering with intercellular communication. I'd like to go on to what are some of the causes you found for Alzheimer's disease? So being trained, um, like I said, both by Dr. Lewis and Dr. Trim and Dr. Bredesen, so, so in the, uh, the, the categories that Dr. Bredesen put forth, so the six different types. So type one is inflammatory. So in, in looking at those things that are going to cause inflammation in the body, you know, whether it's the foods that you are consuming, um, whether there's uh, gut dysbiosis, so the imbalance of good to bad bacteria in your gut and and those bacteria are causing, you know, toxins to be released. You know, we call them lipopolysaccharides. You know, those can be inflammatory. Um, having, um, you know, anything that is going to drive inflammation. Subacute infections that was uh, elucidated by Dr. Trim. So, so like the Lyme or Epstein-Barr virus or what have you. So those are, you know secreting toxins and, and wreaking havoc and causing an inflammatory process. Uh, type 1.5 is what's called glycotoxic, and that means, you know, high blood sugar. So it is now uh, in a category called type 3 diabetes of the brain. So we know type 1 is, uh, you know, an insulin deficiency where the, the islet cells are not making insulin enough or not at all, and uh, type 2 is non, 
you know, more of just an insulin resistance where you can perhaps maybe control that by diet or, or medications or supplements and so forth. But now we have type 3 diabetes of the brain. So now that area has become insulin resistant and the brain can't utilize glucose effectively. So then that becomes problematic and that takes you down the, the pathway of, of, of cognitive decline. Type 2 is called atrophic, meaning that you have a decrease in hormones. So you can have a decrease in cortisol, like we were talking about earlier. You got this chronic fatigue syndrome. The body just can't, the adrenal glands aren't making it enough, you know, or a decrease in thyroid hormones from hypothyroidism, a decrease in your sex hormones. So testosterone in men, estradiol in women. And a whole host of things. So those hormones are critical for cognition. Type 3 is deemed to be toxic. And that can come from a whole host of things. So we, we were talking about the mold mycotoxins. And as a matter of fact, that is a growing area um, of concern for Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Uh, these mold mycotoxins that... Are, again, are just not elucidated in the traditional uh, workup for an Alzheimer's patient, but it is a major, major cause. Um, and it also in young people, because now, unfortunately, we have 40-year-olds that are getting Alzheimer's. So, um, yes, that's, that's one of the major causes. The other toxic category would be heavy metals. So if you have silver or gold filling. You know, those fillings are made up of 50% mercury, and that is off-gassing in your body all the time as you eat, as you drink, and brush teeth, and, and all of this stuff. So over time, those fillings get worn down, and that mercury off-gasses and gets into the brain. And it doesn't happen to everybody, though, in terms of detoxification, but let's go back to the liver. If your liver cannot sufficiently get these heavy metals out of your body, then they're going to get stored in areas where they shouldn't. So, so again, this, this kind of goes back to looking at all these different organ systems. Where else can you get, you know, let's say mercury and aluminum? You know, you can get it from vaccines. You know, unfortunately, they're, uh, you know, from flu vaccines and a whole host of other vaccines there is still, you know, small amounts of uh, thimerosal, which is the mercury and aluminum in there and a whole host of other things that, that are, are causing problems. You know, and of course, you know, if you are a heavy fish eater, unfortunately, our waterways have been contaminated. Um, and the big fish that, you know, we love so much, red snapper and grouper and all of these things and tuna. Uh, unfortunately, they, they have a lot of mercury in them. So, again, if you, you can't detoxify, that can be extremely problematic. And, and just like you mentioned before, glyphosate and other toxins, you know, are high on that list for causing Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Type 4 is vascular. So, if you have a decrease in blood flow. So, I always like to have my patients do a calcium heart score 
to see the, the buildup of calcium in the arteries. You can also do a carotid scan to see if there's any uh, impairment there. Those are really important. Um, but, you know, the vascular flow um, can also, again, be compromised by inflammation. Um, and it can be compromised by pathogens and, and all of this. So looking at those labs to, to show what the flow is looking like. You know, you can do brain scans, of course, you know, the functional MRI, and um, you can do spec scans and, and all of that to, to see flow. Um, but that's a, a critical area. And then type 5 is traumatic. So, you know, having any type of head injury, you know, um, but, you know, playing soccer, you know, having a car accident, um, a whole host of things that, uh, maybe you have lost consciousness or not even lost consciousness. Of course, you know, football players, you know, uh, that's a constant banging of the heads and you don't necessarily lose consciousness, but over time there's a continuous damage. So, so that's where functional medicine really comes into play. And again, looking at these root causes, because, you know, just pretty much going to traditional neurologists and so forth and, and going through a lot of the, you know, MRI and CT scans and, and so forth. But you, nine times out of ten, you end up just being on uh, Aricept or Numenda or what have you. And, and, of course, there are a lot of experimental drugs that have tried to be released, but they've shown no benefit. Um, but, again, not really looking at the underlying cause of the Alzheimer's. And it really can be successfully reversed. And, you know, with those subacute infections, decreasing those loads, um, either with a traditional uh, antibiotics, uh, antivirals, antiparasitics, or I like more, you know, of the, the herbal, you know, um, antipathogenic, broad-spectrum antipathogenic uh, supplements that have great efficacy. But again, you know, at the end of the day, all of this, you know, does take time. I, I do have one patient that I had a very, very quick turnaround in. Um, that patient um, was uh, placed on one of the newer cholesterol-lowering agents, which was the injectable, to aggressively lower HDL. I mean, LDL, sorry. And um, within a few months, um, you know, the, the total cholesterol was somewhere around 120. So, and the LDL was probably like 40. So the, the doctor who put that patient on there was very happy with those results, but the patient's memory was um, slipping significantly, so much so that they had to leave work. So when they came to me, um, you know, just really a quick review, I, I just suggested perhaps this is, you know, because the timing was perfect, you know, your memory was fine until you were on this statin drug. So I was able to convince them to get off of that. Um, within six months, their memory came back and their, their total cholesterol levels were, you know, somewhere around 195, 200 and, and so forth and, and, and quite well within reasonable limits. And, and of course, yeah, I know you talked to Dr. Lewis uh, recently and, and and it really shows that ideal cholesterol levels 
should somewhere be, be between 220 and 240. Because cholesterol, at the end of the day, is, is really not the enemy. We really have to be more concerned about the inflammatory factors, looking at homocysteine, C-reactor protein, insulin levels, fibrinogen, bed rate. All of, all of those things play a much, much more valuable role in if cholesterol can ultimately play a, a causative role. And obviously, you know, if you have high LDL and you have a lot of small particles and, and oxidized LDL and the apolipoprotein B pattern and LP little A pattern, yeah, one has to be more vigilant. But again, still at the end of the day, cholesterol is not because of heart attacks. You know, yeah, cholesterol I, is a building block. I would like yeah. to interject here a little bit. We probably have like five minutes or less left. So I would like you to talk yeah. about something that's, you, you give you a choice. You can either talk about stem cells or you can talk about something that's extremely important to you that you want to communicate to the listener. Well, I mean, stem cells, uh, uh, again, those are, are fabulous. I, I did stem cells. Um, I'm also the chief medical advisor of a shockwave medical company. It's called uh, Tissue Regeneration Technologies, and that is a device. We have about 200 locations nationwide, and it actually enhances your own endogenous stem cell production. So it's been a fascinating journey with that, utilizing that on patients. Uh, it is FDA cleared for musculoskeletal pain and, you know, healing of diabetic foot ulcers and, and so forth. So that's an exciting device. We actually are doing some clinical trials with its use in coronavirus. But what I'd like to say ending up is I want to talk about kind of the coronavirus, if I may. Is that okay? Please, we're all begging you to. <laughs> so, you know, with, with what's going on, it is crucial that I would say that everyone really needs to improve their immune system. Um, and, and really, because we're all ultimately going to be exposed to this, uh, truly. Um, I'm not so keen on, you know, this rapid introduction of the vaccines. And be that as it may, um, you know, I've taken care of uh, several patients with this. And, and really, boosting your immune system, making sure you have high levels of vitamin C, vitamin D. Vitamin D, very, very critical. And, and you really won't know where you are until you test. So everyone should get a vitamin D level. And then accordingly, maybe you're taking 2,500 IUs a day or 5,000 or 10,000. It really kind of depends on where you are because ideally you really want that level to be somewhere between 60 and 80. Uh, you really want to be taking zinc, you know, at least 20 to 30 milligrams a day. Um, sometimes maybe 50. You want to be careful not to take too much zinc, though, because it can actually upset your copper levels. Taking a really good food-based multivitamin um, is one of my favorites. Um, uh, the vitamin C, probably two grams a day, I ideally with liposomal variety. Uh, selenium, quercetin, also huge players in, in this. And there are a whole host of other things. But again, at the end of the day, um, oh, cod liver oil, another really, really old school one, but really, really good thing. 
And for those, you know, myself, um, I've been out and about, um, you know, traveling and, and, you know, and haven't suffered. I'm, I'm sure I've been exposed to it, but haven't suffered from any ill effects. And I've had a couple of my patients on, you know, the regimen that, you know, I'm telling you about and, and a few other things. Again, you kind of have to personalize it if someone has gut issues and so forth or thyroid issues and, and what have you really want to dial more into that. But, you know, uh, they were exposed to it um, and just had very, very minor symptoms. And um, the people around them uh, uh, actually did not follow uh, the, the, the supplement regimen, um, unfortunately got it, and, and, and didn't make it. So, um, so yeah, this is, this is a, a difficult time that we're in. Um, but people really, really need to be in tune with these supplements. Of course, you don't hear about this in the, in the media, um, but how crucial these things are. But just think about it. Our body, uh, again, never suffers from a lack of any medication. It suffers from a lack of the nutrients that it needs to run efficiently. So if we give the body what it needs and in optimal levels, then it should, you know, be able to fend off whatever comes its way. That is so important, and, I, and I've been saying all along, it's so important to build our immunity because we all will be exposed to this, and our best fighting chance is to be as healthy as we can. And so then when this comes, okay, we deal with it and move on. And if we do get it, there's a people on the show that told us various ways to increase our chances. I mean, you go... You, you, you discuss with your physician and follow his advice, but we're only telling things you can do in addition to increase your health, your resilience, and immunity. We've got about one and a half minutes left, so anything you'd like to say in closing or how to get in touch with you, because uh, we really appreciate sharing your wisdom. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, you can visit us at um, www.realhealthclinics, that's with an S, dot com. That's our site dedicated to Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and dementia, um, and um, www.healthrevivalpartners.com. Um, and those are the two main sites that you can um, reach me at. Um, like I said, I do sit on several medical advisory boards for a number of companies. Um, but yeah, definitely. I love working with patients and and just really educating them because it's it's so rewarding to see that light bulb moment and it's like wow that's why I feel that way and and my goodness can I really get off of some of these medications and and really have a natural way to address these underlying conditions so I really love what I do encourage the audience to contact Dr. Carter, do your own research, share your research with others, consult with your physician, and so we can help each other get well because uh, basically the responsibility for our health lies with us and we shouldn't be waiting for a government solution. We need to be proactive in taking care of our health. So let's help each other out, consult with our physicians and healers, and above all, be well. for listening. Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Here's to better health for you this week.